0: Heads up everybody, I'm B Francis Clark. And I'm Anton Anderson. And this is Sky is Black, an endless immersion in pure vibranium bliss. Vibranium bliss. That's right.
1: Now, is that because we have the vibranium running through our veins, and so we're getting like sort of some sort of metal toxicology or metal
0: high? Definitely not over the counter. Over the top. This is real deal, soul-stirring satisfaction that only sky is black. Can achieve or even conceive wow that was deep that was really deep maybe i do have vibranium coursing through my veins
1: i just have coffee i just have more of that delicious coffee from my place cafe coursing through my veins
0: and not enough of it i just started it and i'm rocking my t-o-s-i-b-h-c-t-l wait what my t-o-s-i-b-h-c-t-l C-T-L T-O-S-I-B-H-C-T-L Yeah, that's it Say that five times fast, I dare you T O S I B H C T L. T O S I B H C T L. T O S I B T H T C L. T O S I B H C T L. So what does that mean? That means I am drinking the official Sky is Black Hot Chai Tea Latte oh. T-O-S-I-B-H-C-T-L In effect, flowing through the veins My place cafe. Fantastic stuff. And we have a lid that actually works today as opposed to spilling all over the place like it did the last time.
1: Well, you know, that's why at some point we need to like switch over to something more sustainable. We want to get to the future, right? We do. So our disposable cups, we've got to like switch over to a good like silicone seal, maybe even with the vibranium seal, vacuum, Mm -hmm. you know, keep your coffee warm kind of deal. Coming soon to the Sky's Black store.
0: Note to self. Need to work on that. Our vibranium vacuum mug. Gotta have it. But speaking of beverages, yeah. Wanna give a quick shout out to Pepsi, who did their Pepsi dig in day right this past weekend. So they are pledging fifty million dollars in support to black restaurants. Serving Pepsi instead of Coke, I presume, at the restaurants. I would assume so. And I'm assuming, perhaps incorrectly, that the initiative has some roots. In the Graves family, Earl Graves, who was the publisher of Black Enterprise magazine, one of my favorite people in the world, was a Pepsi distributor and part of the Pepsi family. I didn't know that. So it's quite possible that his legacy is behind this and possible that the current Graves family is behind it. I don't know if they are, but either way, I'm hoping that they will continue to build upon what pepsi is doing
1: and this is also done in conjunction with the national urban league and with eat okra which is a black-owned business directory and a number of other collaborators so it isn't just pepsi in isolation but really a shout out to pepsi for spearheading it
0: and this initiative is also working with black and mobile which is a black owned food delivery service which is in atlanta baltimore new york and philadelphia Come to L.A. Yes, come to L.A. So I can order my T-O-S-I-B-H-C-T-L through the Black & Mobile app.
1: When they come to L.A.?
0: When they come to L.A. So again, they're in Wakanda suburbs right now. Atlanta, Baltimore, New York, and Philadelphia. The tech deck is part of the Wakanda burbs. You better recognize. Yes, it is. All the dinas. All the dinas. For more information on Black & Mobile, it's blackandmobile.com. So good luck, guys. Right on. We definitely got to give thanks to Spock for driving our episode. Spock. Why Spock, you say? Get us out of here, Spock. Why Spock, you say? What is the departing wisdom that Spock always leaves us with? Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper, which is what we're talking about today. We definitely want to live long and prosper. We know that the road to Wakanda is long and difficult. And to reach it, we need to be physically fit, mentally fit, culturally fit, and spiritually fit.
1: We need to have it together.
0: We need to have it together to live long and prosper. So today we're talking about being physically fit. Healthy. Being healthy. And actually, I would amend the Spock statement slightly. I say we need to live long, live well, and prosper.
1: Yes, living well.
0: There's no value in living a long and meaningless life. We want to live a hopefully long and fruitful and impactful life that leaves a legacy and continues to build the road to Wakanda for future generations of Wakandans. So, thank you, Spock. So, before we get to all that, have two words for you Boba Fett. Fet. Yes. Yes.
1: That was an awesome. People were like teasing me about my Mandalorian joke from last the ep- yeah, last episode, but th- that was a great like season finale of The Mandalorian. It where was it's suddenly like coming up the book of Boba Fett, and so the trailer just dropped, and it looks awesome.
0: When is that coming out?
1: Yeah. Um, I want to say like December. Want to say December too? Maybe before Christmas sometime, but um, feels about right. Sometime like mid to late December, and it's going to be cool. First of all, Boba Fett was always one of the most badass characters. You know, in, in the Star Wars canon, and, and inter- interestingly, he's originally sort of like a minor character, but everyone was like, this is great. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm totally excited about it. And I was excited to see him make his, uh, not even, I wouldn't even call it a cameo appearance, but to have him make his appearance in, in The Mandalorian. And talk about someone who's living long and prospering. He, For real, though. He managed to, we all thought he was done, right? When he got sucked into that sand creature, you know, and...
0: But of course, Boba's not going out like that. It's Boba Fett. Not going out like that. That's right. And in the last episode, we talked about AI and the Facebook metaverse. Quick aside, I fully expect to see a Star Wars multiverse at some point in the near future. Sign me up. There has to be. Yep. I mean, there's, there's no way in the world that Disney slash Fox slash whatever is going to bypass an opportunity to build a uniquely specific Star Wars multiverse. Impossible.
1: Totally. I mean, they may start off just like at Disneyland where you strap on a headset and do it there. But I mean, it's definitely coming and it'll be something that I think will be an awesome an awesome way to, be, to really immerse yourself in the Star Wars universe, metaverse.
0: And I also heard too that the, the follow-up to Rogue One has been delayed. I think they were supposed to start production next year. I think it has been indefinitely delayed.
1: Damn you, COVID.
0: The director of that was, I want to say, Patty Jenkins, per The Hollywood Reporter. I think she's too busy at the moment and needs to be delayed, but... But Can't be too busy for Star Wars. That's what I'm saying. It's like, what takes priority over that? It better be good. Obviously, a previous commitment, because you want to honor the commitments that you've made. That's true. And so even if it's Star Wars or whatever, it's like I've promised these real-life human beings that I will do X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to fulfill that obligation. But if they had the Jedi mind trick, if the executives at Disney were like,
1: you will be making this movie, then, (laughs) you know, then
0: it would be happening, right? Exactly. One of the best scenes in uh, episode four. Love it. These are not the droids you're looking for. These are not the droids you're looking for.
1: <laughs> I'm excited about. Um, I, I thought Rogue One was a interesting sort of like infill of the Star Wars universe because you always like they paid a great price for these plans. You know, it was very like laden with meaning. Mm-hmm. For those of you who are translating their closed captions, it'd be like capital L laden with meaning, kind of like William Shatner. You know, also Spock, get us out of here. But the thing is, is that I, I think it's. I, I thought Rogue One was it was a great movie and kind of an interesting story and nicely enough it was one to where you could introduce all kinds of people yes because well spoiler alert they all die but you are able to have like a really nice closed truly an episode a heroic tale a heroic ta- tale and I think that's really it was, it was a lot of fun I enjoyed it
0: speaking of tech and movies Quentin Tarantino who of course is a brilliant filmmaker And famous for his adoration of the N-word. Say what again? Say what again? Exactly. (laughs) I can't. My Samuel L. Jackson impersonation will never, never, ever measure up. Can I have some of your beverage to wash this down?
1: Mm, This is a tasty burger.
0: Mm, This is a tasty burger. See, yours is much better. Yours is is much better. No, it is not. Um, But anytime I do a top ten movie list... It's a great Pulp movie. F- Pulp Fiction is always in the top 10, sometimes in the top 5. It is to me a phenomenal movie and of course I'm not the only person who thinks this. And so we bring him up because he is doing some NFTs in connection with Pulp Fiction.
1: Non-fungible transactions?
0: Non-fungible tokens, I believe.
1: Right. Non-fungible tokens, NFT. Non-fungible tokens. And for those of you who aren't really familiar with with NFTs, what they are essentially, they they use blockchain technology and they use, I believe, the Bitcoin blockchain. I do not know that. Um, They use one of the blockchains, one of the larger blockchains, essentially to give you the equivalent of a certificate of ownership of a digital image. And this is a relatively new thing because digital image, it's digital so you can make copies of it and do whatever and and there's no definitive copy. Whereas now with an NFT, you can say that you own the definitive copy and the blockchain, because it's oversimplifying, it's hard to, to hack, and hard to spoof. But by having an NFT, you essentially are saying and declaring, and the larger internet blockchain is acknowledging that you are the owner of the canonical copy of X digital file.
0: Mine, 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 mine. And they're selling. I mean these things are
1: selling for millions of dollars and people are making incomes, you know, at at the lower end of the scale. But I mean, but major artists are are, are selling these pieces and and people who aren't major artists are selling these pieces for millions of dollars to where Christie's is auctioning these things off.
0: And Sotheby's too. Both yes. which is so interesting to me. And so we will do a dedicated episode about NFTs at some point or another. There's along a lot with, to talk about there. Along with blockchain, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency because I still don't have my arms around it all, and I know I'm not alone in that, and so we will have a dedicated episode about these issues at some point or another. But but going back to Tarantino, he was at a NFT conference. He's going to be auctioning off seven digitized excerpts from the original handwritten script for the film, along with audio commentary.
1: And part of the cool thing about this is that because he's the director of the film, he can... He has access to things that we all don't have access to, you know. His own
0: personal, private, handwritten script.
1: Yeah. And also, you know, like in Pulp Fiction, there was that, that suitcase that glowed, you know, when you open it up and everyone's like, oh, what's in there? And. The soul. And so the whole idea with these NFTs, or at least one of the ideas, is that it will include some secrets from the movie. And so by you as the owner, the canonical owner of this NFT, you'll have the choice. You can either keep the secret and sort of take it to your grave kind of thing, or you can share it with some loved ones. You can like, you know, have this exclusive, you know, bit of knowledge, or you, because it's yours, you own the NFT. Mm-hmm. You can actually then say, Hey, that's what I learned about mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction. You know, here's what's in the suitcase, or here's whatever. Here's exactly what kind of burger they were eating. You know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you'll be able to to have some some insider knowledge. Um, you know, because secret NFTs are a sort of a new asset class of these non fungible tokens, enhanced with privacy and access control features, so that way, um, not everyone can just even view it. Uh, and so his will be, I think. Perhaps one of the first ones, but certainly one of the early ones uh, to offer artists and creatives a new medium for creation and distribution of this content. So it, love it. So expanding the world of NFTs.
0: Love it, and it's going to be auctioned on the NFT marketplace called OpenSea. We'll put some links to that in the show notes. But again, really fascinating stuff. Say what again? Say it again. Exactly. <laughs> I love. Samuel Jackson's character. Would you grab my wallet, please? Which one? The one that says "Bad Mother Sucker." <laughs> Hilarious! One of the best. One of the best lines in cinematic history, right there. So we mentioned the NFT NYC. That's right. Conference, which just concluded, and I am so sad that I was not a part of that. They had so many interesting sessions and discussions about what's happening in the world of NFT. So they had sessions on. Building NFT communities, creating an NFT brand, how to build an NFT wallet, NFTs and intellectual property. They were talking about stand up comedy NFTs, 3D NFTs. But they were also talking about NFTs in terms of them actually making an
1: impact, not just being sort of this digital thing out in the ether. Right. But, you know, for social
0: causes. Yeah, change,
1: impact, Mm and NFTs, how NFTs can be used for altruistic
0: causes using NFTs to address women's health.
1: This was a great conference, and, and one of the great things, since it's digital, it could actually have the opportunity for bringing communities across the world all together, and they had a session on that, too. I actually am looking forward to, hopefully this was recorded, I and know, going back I and, know, and circling know. back to learn
0: some more about it. If we can find that, we will put some links to it in the show notes. Other session that they had was Intelligent NFTs, where AI meets NFTs, so interesting. The founder of, I believe it's Aletheia, his example was a living JPEG. Imagine a JPEG that had AI associated with it that would evolve over the course of time.
1: So now the, the GIFs come to kill you? Apparently so. <laughs> Apparently so. What happened, to you? what happened to Bob? He got
0: memed to death. The memes came after him. I was saying, me, 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 and they still... Took me out anyway. Gotcha. So hopefully we can get our hands on that session as well.
1: Did Mm -hmm. you hear about the um, the case where they're saying that the AI maybe owns the copyright to some code and to some, some certain works? I don't remember the exact details. I was skimming it. But very interesting when you have this notion of digital creations and then suddenly what if the creator is digital? Who owns the copyright? Who owns it? Tick, tick, boom. (laughs) <laughs>
0: Say what again And give me my wallet while you're at it
1: for, for the kind of money these things are selling for they Your wallet is already there
0: Another thing that happened This week too Niantic is the company behind Pokemon Go and So we're all familiar with Pokemon Go They have released what they're calling Lightship Which is an AR developer kit That will make building augmented reality Experiences more accessible And here's why I bring this up They had a quote that says, we at Niantic believe humans are the happiest when their virtual world leads them to a physical one. Unlike a sci-fi metaverse, a real world metaverse will use technology to improve our experience of the world as we've known it for thousands of years. And so in contrast to the Facebook metaverse, the meta metaverse, the meta metaverse, Niantic is trying to do something that's more augmented.
1: And I think that's great. I mean, first of all, everyone has seen Pokemon Go was a phenomenon. I think people were like worried that people were just going to walk into the streets chasing Pokemon Go's.
0: And they you know, will all, eventually. Uh,
1: well, I think people were. They were very concerned about that. They mm-hmm. were saying that. But also, I think until we get to where we have our Star Trek holodeck, where it's a truly immersive, not only visual, but tactile, you know, all your senses. Mm-hmm. Immersive environment. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, AR, augmented reality, yes. uh, where you're either wearing glasses or looking through your phone or looking through a screen at reality sort of through this magic window pane, if you will. I think that will be much more pervasive, much more well adopted than than I think, than, than strapping on a headset. I think there, there'll still be a purpose for that. There will and, be. And we'll talk about virtual reality uh, and metaverses also on a different episode, but I think that it's exciting to see that a big player mm-hmm. uh, like like Niantic uh, is, is getting involved and really driving hard on something they're already good at, because yes. Pokemon Go, mm-hmm. I'm sure with the young people, it probably still is a thing, but I remember when it was a thing. Uh, and, I, and I think it's it's cool to see that they're moving forward on that.
0: And of course, Apple has been and is the leading driver of AR experiences. And so we expect to see some big news from Apple in the coming months and years.
1: And for those of you who are kind of like, well, I don't play all these games and things like that, very quickly, there's a great app if you have a reasonably modern iPhone called Measure. And the Measure app is basically like a tape measure. And so you can more or less, I mean, it's not precise down to the millimeter. But if you're like, about how big is this table? You can just sort of point your phone at one corner and hit a tap and tap and it'll say, oh, it's a six foot by three foot table. So you can do really quick measurement. It's a good example of augmented reality that actually is useful for something. IKEA actually does a really good job of that with with AR, and so you can sort of see. Especially, that means you don't have to assemble it yourself but to, to see how it's going to look, and you can see it sort of placed in the in your room, in your living room, or wherever, or on your
0: wall. Um, I think it's really cool. Love it. Of course, back in the real world, there's been a lot of discussion lately in the past week about climate change.
1: Part of the problem there is that you know the developing world produces most of the greenhouse gases. But who are the ones who are going to suffer the most? These low-lying coastal countries, countries that are the, the poorer countries are actually the ones that are most vulnerable to the effects of climate change. So in, in some regards, they're the ones who are going to be left sort of holding
0: the bag or holding the bucket as they bail out their house. Exactly. And we want to give a shout out to a climate activist in Uganda. Her mm-hmm. name is Vanessa Nakate. She's been in the news lately for speaking up for the motherland, and been in the news lately for some of the wrong reasons. But first, she said recently that historically, Africa is responsible for only 3% of global emissions, but Africans are suffering some of the most brutal impacts fueled by the climate crisis. She was at the World Economic Forum last year in Davos, and there was a picture taken with her and a couple other young climate activists And as that image went around the world and through the media, she was cropped out of that image. And so she was understandably quite upset about it, quite upset about it. She actually has a book coming out, which is called A Bigger Picture, My Fight to Bring a New African Voice to the Climate Crisis. So when that is available, you can find it at the Sky's Black Bookshop. And um, I'm looking forward to reading that. Me too. So... There's some other good news in the world these days. Bring me some good news. I want to give some props to Google. We have pointed fingers at Google several times over the course of our episodes, justifiably. They have just announced the winners for their impact challenge for women and girls. They are committing $25 million to fund organizations, creating pathways to prosperity for women and girls.
1: This is really terrific. This is a terrific program. And part of it is that they get not only the money, but then they also have opportunities for mentorship and additional support from Google. And I think this is really important. You know, We talk a lot about Afrofuturism and technology here on the show. Wakanda Road. Wakanda Road, that's right. How we get there. And what's interesting is that right now, at least in America, around 70-some-odd percent of coders are male. Worldwide, it's closer to 90%. And interestingly enough, is that if you remove the gender, any gender identification, like the name of the coder, mm-hmm. there was a study recently that says that the women coders are actually better coders. Not surprised. And, and so the idea of being able to, to foster that and bring that forward and, you know, Google, make some amends, let's
0: fix it, you know? Well, they're definitely giving some support to Black Girls Code. So we're excited about that. Shout out to Black Girls Code. Absolutely. We've mentioned them in the past, and hopefully we'll have a longer dedicated conversation to to them and to that issue. Quick aside, too. In their merch store, blackgirlscode.com, they have a really cool shirt that says, Steminist. Ooh, I like that. As opposed to feminist. Steminist. I love it. Hashtag Uh, Steminist. The issue that I have with it, though, is that they have onesies for babies that say Steminist, and they have female shirts that say Steminist, but they don't have any male shirts that say Steminist, and I, for one, am a Steminist. Hashtag Black Girl Dad. That is right. My daughters, who often share clothes, have a shirt that says Feminist, and my daughter Addison wears it most, but it says Feminist, but I would love for them to both have shirts that say Steminist. So, let's get some adult Male shirts that say "Steminist." Double X size, please. Two X, please. <laughs> <laughs> two other organizations that get support from Google. Uh, two from Kenya. Mm-hmm. One is called Build Her, so B U I L D H E R. Build Her. Build Her. Yes, and so their their mission is to equip women in Kenya with accredited construction and manufacturing skills. So that it leads to greater financial prosperity, changing male attitudes, and promoting gender equality within the construction industry.
1: It's it's really great to see Kenya lead the way in this because, you know, here in America and I think throughout the world, construction has been such a male-dominated industry. And so more representation you can have there, I think that's fantastic.
0: And as we build the road to Wakanda, as we build Akon City, as we do work that's related to Colloquate, we definitely need all hands on deck. To me, this is fantastic. Love it, love it, love it. And a second organization that got some support from Google that's in Kenya is an organization called Refugee. So imagine a girl refugee. So it's called Refugee. R-E-F-U S-H-E, refugee. and So they are in Kenya, and they are serving East Africa's most vulnerable refugees. So the young women are refugees who have been separated and orphaned due to war, conflict, violence, and terrorism. And so I, like you, have a huge heart for refugees. I mean, if we Mm -hmm. just put ourselves in their shoes and in their circumstances for just one second... It's one of those things, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. Amen. And there, with the grace of God, we must also go. And so I'm thankful for what Refugee is doing. A lot of allies associated with this particular organization. And it does not matter because these are things that need to happen. I don't know a lot about refugees. Refugee. This is the first time I've heard of them in, con- in connection with this announcement, but I absolutely intend to learn more.
1: And part of their mission is to provide digital skills and training to young urban refugee women, and give them an opportunity for safe and dignified livelihoods. You know, essentially harnessing the online economy. So in many ways, this is very much in Google's wheelhouse. It is. And so they provide consulting and. Really importantly, they provide daycare. One of the big challenges in these sorts of situations, or actually all kinds of situations, is that if you're a mom, you know, and you have small children, especially small children, Mm -hmm. you know, how can you, what can you do while you're still taking care of those children? How can you dig your way out? How can you advance yourself? Mm -hmm. You know, daycare becomes a really, a really big challenge. They also have a, a laptop buyback program. So that way they can get a laptop and then essentially pay it off. So that way they can launch their careers and then thrive after they graduate from the program. I think it's really wonderful.
0: Amen. What's challenging for all of these organizations is to figure out how to live long and prosper. That's right. Because that's what we're all trying to do is to live long and, and prosper. And one cool thing that's relates to that in Ghana is that the famous architect, David Adjaye. He's the guy who did
1: the, the Smithsonian Museum yes. of African American History.
0: It's actually Sir David Adjay. I'm sure I'm pronouncing his name wrong, but as the name butcherer, that's simply what I do. But you got Sir right. I did get Sir. And so that speaks to his sort of English heritage as opposed to his Ghanaian heritage. But nevertheless, it's Sir David Adjay. A knight's a knight. A knight is a knight. Or to say it phonetically, a knigget is a knigget. I'll let the listeners deal with that parable. To say it phonetically or po- phonetically, a knigget is a knigget. A night is a knight. Um, so, anyway, what's really cool about David Adjay, he's doing all kinds of great projects around the world, including, hopefully, fingers crossed, this project in New York called the Affirmation Tower. Iconic and, building, too. And has an amazing design. But in Ghana, he's going to be building 111 new healthcare facilities including 101 district hospitals, a pair of psychiatric hospitals, seven regional hospitals, and the redevelopment of an existing psychiatric hospital in the capital city of Accra. Talk about living long and prospering. Healthcare facilities in the motherland that are first-rate. I'm so excited that he's doing this. Again, 111 new healthcare facilities. And what's great about that is that
1: then helps build out the infrastructure for delivering world-class health care. And everyone, all of us, deserve top-notch health care. Amen.
0: Amen. So in addition to the Affirmation Tower that hopefully he'll be doing in New York, he's also part of the redesign for the Studio Museum in Harlem. Beautiful. Uh, if you haven't been there, definitely go there. But they are raising money to have it redesigned, and so they're raising $250 million. If you haven't supported this already, we'll provide some links to do that. And it's exciting, the great work that he is doing, including some things associated with a famous artist that you might appreciate.
1: Jean-Michel Basquiat. Yes. I find his work to be fascinating.
0: Wasn't he homeless for a while?
1: He was. I mean, he actually, I mean, he went through it. Uh, some of that, you know, due to some mental health challenges that, mm-hmm. that he had. And, but, but his work, I mean, his work is really, it's thought provoking. It's it's fascinating and it's the kind of thing that it moved the needle in terms of black culture, at least here in America. Mm-hmm. And and so you see references to it all over the place. And sometimes there's subtle references like the little crown just popped in, mm-hmm. you know, on things. And I, I think that if if you're not familiar with, with him, dear listener, go check it out. Go check, you know, Google uh, Basquiat. B A S Q U I A T. Jean Michel Basquiat
0: we talk about living long and prospering, mental health is a piece of it. So again, the the road to Wakanda is long and we need to be physically fit, mentally fit, culturally fit, and spiritually fit. That is a reminder, even as we praise his artistry, to be mindful of our own and collective mental health. Take
1: care of yourself. Amen. Take care of yourself.
0: Amen. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk about how we take care of ourselves. The first annual Pan-African Food Festival will arrive in the summer of 2022 and for the first time ever. Diners will enjoy a true Pan-African table with food and wine from places like Ethiopia, Jamaica, Morocco, New Orleans, Nigeria, Atlanta, Belize, New York, South Africa, Cuba, Brazil, Haiti, Kenya, Barbados, London, Egypt, Ghana, Senegal, and Puerto Rico. Every premier chef of African descent, along with restaurant owners, authors, bartenders, food critics, even YouTube stars, will be invited to participate in the tastiest, spiciest, most down-home and delicious food festival there has ever been. Sure, you've probably had soul food, but you've never ever been to this flavor town. So join me as we organize step-by-step, chef-by-chef, a dinner party over a thousand years in the making. Sound like a good time? Somebody say the blessing. Welcome back to Sky is Black. We are talking about how to live long and prosper. That's right.
1: Spock was right. We all need to live long, live well, and prosper. Amen. And I'm excited because we are one step closer to living well, getting back maybe a little bit closer to, quote, normal, unquote, because we're one soon step... very soon. One step closer to everyone having the opportunity, at least here in America, to get a vaccine. I don't know about, about about you, but, uh, but I've got my son scheduled to get his first immunization this coming weekend, actually.
0: Next three weeks, I hope.
1: Yeah, because it's been authorized, emergency authorization for yes. 5 to 11-year-olds, the Pfizer, the Pfizer vaccine. Not quite yet for my littlest one, but um, that brings us one step closer to, to maybe not necessarily getting out of this pandemic, but at least being... One step closer to being able to manage it and not have it be completely out of control. Amen. And I have to say that it, we here in America, we're really lucky. We're,
0: so lucky.
1: You know, because like in Nigeria, they're shooting for 40% vaccination rate and they're talking about how it's going to be impossible for them to get there, which I think is a real tragedy.
0: It is, but so many distractions.
1: And actually, dear listener, a tragedy for all of us too because the longer this virus sticks around because it's just trying to live it doesn't really care what or where the more likely that there's going to be yet another mutation another variant yes. that can then come back potentially to come and haunt all of us so um you know it's 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 frustrating that that they you know can only get to 40 percent or they're struggling to get to even to there
0: and this is precisely why They need to be made there. I think I made a comment in a previous episode about the fact that we need to make vaccines in the motherland because there are going to be conspiracy theories in relation to vaccines and medicines and those kinds of things. So if we can make them in the motherland with some security and some safeguards, that is going to be helpful in the years to come.
1: PSA, folks, the vaccines do work. You know, there are a lot of conspiracy theories here in America, too. And there are actually... Yeah, don't even get me started on rampant. That. There's actually um, there's actually a group of doctors, health providers that have the Black Coalition Against COVID. So blackcoalitionagainstcovid.org. And last year they put out this really fantastic video, this essentially a love letter from black healthcare providers from black physicians to the rest of us saying, you know, take care of yourself. Stay safe when the vaccine becomes available because this was this initial love letter was quote written or the video made prior to the vaccines becoming available but when it becomes available get it because we here in America are so lucky to be able to have it so and, lucky and and the mistrust of the medical system is understood and there is a rational a, yeah a rational basis for it and yet and yet and yet the opportunity is there for us and so it's just like I mean, speaking of conspiracy theories, it's almost a conspiracy theory for those who are kind of anti, and we can talk about that at length. Mm-hmm. Which, and I won't go on and on and perseverate about it. It's, I think it. I think it's important for all of America. We talk about, um, you know, people who are a little nutty, not hitting on all eight cylinders, and one cylinder out of eight, one eighth, is twelve and a half percent, and the black population is thirteen point four percent. So, if the black population is suffering, then. We as a country, just focusing on America for a second. Yes. You know, even if you're like jingoistic, you know, all America and not caring about anything else. Even if you're in that kind of a mode, you want us as a country to be hitting on all eight cylinders, and so you got to like you know 13 percent, 13.4 percent is actually more than just one cylinder having a problem that needs to be addressed.
0: And it's a global pandemic. We need to care about every single person in the world. It's a global pandemic.
1: Global pandemic, and so it's important. So you don't want you you don't want to have reservoirs of this virus circulating and mutating because eventually, if the virus wants to live. The virus doesn't care. The virus doesn't respect boundaries or people or governments or politics or what color hat you're wearing. It's going to want to live. And so it will mutate. And eventually, if it sticks around long enough, if we don't contain it, it will then get around the barriers, get around the vaccines. And then yes. we're all back in it, all of us again.
0: Five million lives lost.
1: Such a tragedy. And so Five many million it, lives lost. So, many, so much of it's preventable. And, you know, but these sorts of inequalities are, are really tragic and it's, but it's fantastic. I'm an optimist. And so I'm, Amen. you know, I'm the kind of person who's always looking for people. I'm a people. faithful realist. I'm an optimist. I'm an, Amen. I'm always looking for people and ways for us to move forward. A faith infused realist. Good for what you. I am. Amen. Right on. And I mean, so one of the things that's exciting is that, you know, people who are working on these things, they're being recognized by major institutions. You know, the Harvard Humanist of the Year is is Dr. Uche Blackstock. What, what? Shout out to Dr. Uche. Yes. And, you know, she's been working on this for a long time. She is the founder of a company or an organization called Advancing Health Equity. And their goal is to equip Healthcare with the tools and strategies to provide racially equitable care and that's one of the things i really want to focus on is you know racially equitable care god there's a lot there but as a quick aside mm-hmm. dr uche is one of a set of twins
0: yes yes hashtag twin dad
1: so it's dr uche and then there's dr one mm-hmm. or Oni. pardon me for messing up your name
0: don't blame the name, butcherer.
1: No, but Dr. Oni and Dr. Uche Blackstock, twins. Mm-hmm. And get this. Yes. Their mother, also a doctor. Mm-hmm. Dr. Oni and Dr. Uche both graduated from Harvard Med School. The mom, also Harvard Med School, in mm-hmm. nephrology, kidneys. And this, to me, is an example of how some people are like, oh, we shouldn't have these programs to, you know, you know the level of playing field to give someone an unfair, and why would they be in there anyway? You
0: mean programs like affirmative action.
1: Yes, okay. and and their mom was participated in that, but when you when you give people the chance to thrive, justice. When justice yes happens, guess what builds upon itself because not only, because it's one of those things where people would say, oh, well, you, didn't, you, didn't, you had no business being there in the first place and so maybe you kind of sort of dolphin up and then sort of come back to wherever. And, but that's not what happened. She had a chance. She did it. Single mom. Mm-hmm. Single mom. Harvard Med School. Nephrology.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Twins. Twin girls. Both of them doctors. So, do, shout out to Dr. Oney. She's actually the founder and executive director of, of an organization called Health Justice. Healthjustice, healthjustice.co. But Dr. Uche, Dr. Blackstock, uh, with advancinghealthequity.com, you know, really looking to eliminate racial inequities. And, you know, as we think about getting to Wakanda and getting living long and prospering and getting there, that's, I think it's, we got to be there healthy. Amen. And for
0: you, just, we got to be healthy to get there.
1: We have to be healthy. Yeah because no one wants to go in like limping or not make it.
0: I'll limp if I have to, like making the run to freedom. If I need to do it that way, so be it. I don't want to do it that way, but...
1: We all want to make
0: it. Yes, we do, by any means necessary.
1: And earlier we were talking about sort of the outsized contribution of, of blacks in health, mm-hmm. and we were talking about Henrietta Lacks and yes. things like that. And it brought me to think about... So, one of the questions that my son always asks is why, why, why? And.
0: Way to go, Avery. That's the question.
1: So, I came across this podcast featuring Dr. Uh, Alden Landry, really focusing on patient race identification. Mm-hmm. And this podcast was really focusing, the audience is geared towards uh, emergency medicine people, so ER docs, that kind of thing. So, it's M. RAP, E-M-R-A-P.org, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes.
0: Definitely has a backbeat, I'm sure.
1: He was pointing out a couple of interesting things. One, he was pointing out some of the structural aspects of racism in the medical establishment. and
0: That's a 10-part series.
1: That is a 10-part series. If you have the misfortune of of being in a hospital, or if you're visiting a loved one in the hospital, you often hear it as the doctors are going around. They'll say, "Oh yeah, this is you know so and so, you know, 34 years old, black woman, blah 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 blah, suffering from kidney da da da." Or they'll say, "You know, this is you know Sally so and so, you know, Asian, suffering from da, da 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 da." Interestingly enough, and there've been studies on this, that if they are not a member of a minority, they just simply say it's Joe suffering from cardiac da-da-da-da. And so it's
0: the default.
1: The default is this thing, you know, what this being essentially European race. Yes. And one thing that he mentioned that really kind of brought it home was when he was talking about Grady Memorial Hospital in Atlanta. And when it was built in, I guess like the nineteen fifties it had two medical wings, two towers. Mm -hmm. And colloquially it was referred to, and actually some older people in Atlanta still refer to it as the Grade E's plural, Mm -hmm. because one tower was for white patients. Absolutely. And one tower was for black patients because you were able to build these, quote, separate, but equal, unquote, facilities. Supposedly. Supposedly. And – And so part of the process of being admitted to the hospital was determination, well, which which of these two towers do you go into? And so it became sort of this norm, this cultural norm in the medical establishment to have your race.
0: Racist racist norm. yes,
1: Yes. Yes. To have that be the initial part of the presentation of okay, who's the patient? You know, their their so and so and their age and their race, and then here's what's wrong with them, and then you kind of go on. That was sort of the, the the rubric there. And and in his paper he talks about how that is obviously I hope it's obvious to everyone, how that creates a problem in the sense that by starting off with that Yes you immediately trigger any either overt or subconscious bias that people have.
0: And people usually
1: have both. And then, and we talked about this. Or
0: people often have both.
1: People do often have both. And so it would immediately trigger that conscious or subconscious bias that they may have. And one of the things we mentioned on a prior episode is that one of the things that's exciting is that broadly in the medical establishment, a lot of these race-based evaluations are beginning to fall by the wayside. And part of it is the realization that we we've, we've all known for a long time is that race is essentially a social construct. It's being it's used so often as a proxy for your your genetics.
0: There's not multiple races. It's only one race, the human race. Only one race, the human race.
1: And and so the thing is is that you know, using race as a as a crutch essentially for, for for, your, for the genetic diversity in, in humanity, it's one, it was a crutch, but also a crutch now, but also it was a tool of oppression and a tool uh, for discrimination. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, is that the variability in, in, in humanity, it's more about geography and it's more about... Economics. Economics. Well, that's a different thing. Um, but, but in terms of the, ge- the genetic differences... Um, A lot of that has to do with geography and sort of who your group is. You know, if you're
0: the Wakanda group,
1: if you're part of the Wakanda group, or if you're from the Indian subcontinent, or if you are um, Orthodox Jew in Europe, you know, there uh, there are certain groups that then have, or if you're in Iceland, Mm -hmm. you know, they have, you know, that then plays into, you know, the generic variability that that then plays into you.
0: Don't sleep on the Wakanda and Icelandics now
1: hey that actually be kind of hot that's right, right. that's right <laughs> and and the thing is you might say oh well you know no 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 there's races here and then you're you're of x race or y race or z race but that's actually not true first of all we all come from Africa. It's a what, well-established what? fact. What, what? Say what again.
0: What, what? Exactly. Say what again.
1: <laughs> but we all come from Africa. I mean, even if you're there listening and you're kind of like, oh, no, I'm the, I'm the most vanilla of milkshakes. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? What mm-hmm. color is the vanilla bean? Brown.
0: Brown.
1: So we all have something of each other. We're all together. We're all one people. And so... We have to let go of this notion of race-based medicine mm-hmm. and shift to an idea of race-conscious medicine. Because if, if you've got race-based medicine, first of all, race is, like I said, it's, it's not well-defined. And it's not well-defined in terms of, you know, what's happening in terms of your biology. Not only because it's not a good marker for ge- the genetic diversity of humanity, but also, you know... We live in a world where people are kind of mixing and mingling, and they were, and for all time, they've actually, you know, you see these straight lines on borders on the globe, and that actually didn't reflect reality. A straight line on a border tells you right there that it doesn't reflect reality, and so people have always been mixing and mingling across borders, and now with with air travel and everything else, we're all mixing and mingling. Because, why? Because we're one people.
0: But there's a straight line from the birthplace of humanity in Ethiopia to me. There's a straight line. There's a straight line to the people in Iceland, too. I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to represent.
1: No, represent. Uh. There's a straight line from from all for all of us together. And by what having mean? medicine based on race, you know, you end up having, and especially if that's sort of the norm in the medical community, you end up having, like, research and studies that link race with biology, which actually isn't true. It isn't actually a fact. And so then... You have this research that's done, and then you have education. You know, med students are then all sort of taught to then have that linkage, and it bakes in the biases, it bakes in stereotypes, it bakes in these practices. that says, you know, for example, if you are African American, there's there's a myth that says that if you're if you're black, you're you you're you're less sensitive to pain, and so the less you get. Less, you're less likely to be prescribed pain medications like, oh, you can take it. Yes. And that's, that was taught in med school.
0: An egregious practice.
1: And so you end up having these biases and these stereotypes that happen. And that just simply exacerbates uh, you know, health inequities based on race.
0: And terrorizes patients.
1: Instead, the idea is to then not to ignore race, but shift it. And say, okay, don't have it be the first thing you talk about. Have it be something you talk about later. You know, when they talk about when you're capturing the information about a patient, they talk about the different histories. You have your medical history, you know, what happened to you, what's going on with you. But then you also have your your social history for, for a patient. Mm-hmm. And that's like, you know, what's your income? Where do you live? What's your race is? What kind of access do, have you had to health care? That kind of thing. What... What's your education? And in all those cases, including race, there are strong correlations between those things and your health. Sadly, And so, but at least having that information, you can, you can do some things to mitigate it. You know, if you, if you grew up someplace where you had no access to health care and so then you've been neglecting your health care because you're in rural wherever, that's important to know.
0: Or if you live in Detroit with poisoned water.
1: That's important to know because all of those things are what are called the social determinants of health, things that happen outside of the clinical environment that then impact your health. And so having race in that part of the conversation is really helpful because then you're acknowledging that race is this social and dare I say, power construct. And then when you start doing your research, you can say, okay, well, how did that affect what happened in this group? How did that affect what happened in some other group? And then you can then, for the medical students, you can then begin to talk about, you know, the consequences of the, those sorts of impacts.
0: More black doctors.
1: Yes. And then when they're out in the clinic, when they're actually practicing, you can then provide structure and support to the patients to then help reduce those health inequalities. And, and so, yes, you need to have representation, black, brown, Asian, the whole, mean, thing. Because whole thing. The whole thing. Dear listener, if you're thinking, oh, that doesn't really affect me, but actually it's it affects everyone because, for example, um, if you're Asian American, you are more likely to be diagnosed and tested and screened for diabetes than non-Asians because of like your BMI and some correlations that have been assigned to the Asian, quote, race, unquote. And so this isn't something that just affects the black population. It affects all populations when you have these artificial – boxes that everyone is put into it affects the delivery of healthcare and so he talks about in this article about how you know making it more one of race consciousness as opposed to um, the race based medicine and making that change and there was an article also that followed up on this or Maybe I just sort of found them coincidentally. And the Lancet, which is an international weekly uh, general medicine journal, um, making that exact call saying, calling for a change from race-based medicine to race-conscious medicine. And and their thing, they are talking about how it increases the opportunity for more medical errors, misdiagnoses. A couple of episodes ago, we talked about uh, for kidney diagnoses, how if you're black, you're they're less likely to say, oh, it's a kidney problem until later when it's a big problem
0: because
1: mm-hmm. you got to have your kidneys. And so to me, that's the thing is, is being able to, to advance for all of us to get there, for all of us to get to Wakanda, for all of us to. And dear listener, even if you're not part of the black population, even if you're not from the African diaspora, when we go to Wakanda, you get to come with us. You get to have your, your, your cocktail and the timeshare out on the deck with us. And so we all want to get there. We all want to make it. And, and so having our health care, having our health care system be one that, is, that changes the focus to one that acknowledges where everyone comes from, acknowledges uh, what's happening. And, and as a quick aside, because the genetics, I mean, everyone does that spit test, you know, when you're giving free research to big pharma.
0: 23 me's got big plans around that.
1: Yeah, that's a whole different episode and a whole different conversation about mm-hmm. what happens when you do when you do your spit test. But we're all, we're all discovering that nobody is one specific thing, that whole blood quantum thing.
0: I discovered a straight line from Ethiopia to me. There you go. Some forged results right there, but <laughs> we'll we'll go with it.
1: Go with it. Why not? You know, I'm a king, right? Um the, but the whole idea is that you know, with the all the genetic tests, you can be more precise, and you can be more precise in terms of what what actually is the the causality of the problem, and and still acknowledging the effects of of race and other factors in society as well.
0: And that's what Twenty Three and Me is trying to do: genetic specific medicine.
1: Yeah, that's going to be. A, we need to have a whole conversation about that. But the point is here is really to then. Take it out from being the the, the main thing that switches you from track A to track B. Have it be race-conscious but not race-based. And that's part of what helps us all get there. It helps us all be healthy, helps us all live long, helps us all to prosper. Amen. And,
0: And there's some things you can even do right now. One of the great things we can do is to participate in an upcoming Black Health Matters conference. Let me find the information on that.
1: That's through Jack and Jill of America.
0: Well, Jack and Jill is a partner with Black Health Matters. Mm. And so they're supporting this upcoming conference, which is happening on November 13th. There'll be a link in the show notes. But they're talking about all kinds of health issues. They're talking about breast cancer, autism, diabetes, heart disease, kidney disease, lupus, multiple sclerosis, which hits close to home. Parkinson's disease, prostate cancer, sickle cell. And vaccines. And vaccines. Again, that is coming up on the 13th of November. And you can find more information at blackhealthmatters.com.
1: And if there's a recording of that seminar, that, that Health Summit, we'll post a link to that also in the show, show notes. One thing that we all have to do, in particular for those of us who are in the black community, you need to advocate for your own health. You need to advocate for what you're doing, for yourself and for your health. Yes. There are all kinds of statistics that talk about the delays. Like there's a a, a measurable delay if you're black when you go into the emergency room and to how long you are seen. Uh, So you need to advocate for yourself. You need to, there, I won't depress you. We're going to go out on a high note. But there are, if you advocate for yourself, you can mitigate so many of these factors. And, If on the provider side, we go to a race conscious framework, and then on the consumer side, if you or if you're shepherding a loved one into the hospital,
0: advocate, ask questions. One of the hardest things for families these days in the COVID pandemic is having family members in hospitals by themselves, not able to physically advocate for them on the spot. And so...
1: That happened to me when my father passed. My mm-hmm. father passed last year, last last summer. Yeah, my and my father in law, and and he was in the hospital largely by himself. It was through, um, I I call it a miracle that we were able to spend some of his final times there with him. But but yeah, by 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 themselves, and so we all have to get into the habit of advocating for ourselves, for our loved ones, and then. All the people in the medical profession, go check out that love letter from Black Coalition Against COVID because those in the medical profession, they care, especially the the medical professionals who are from our community. They care. They all care. They all swore an oath to care. But they all care, and they all want us all to live long and prosper. And so we're going to get there, and we're this is just the beginning of a number of conversations we're going to have about health. And so we're excited about being able to share some of this information with you to continue the conversation. I hope, dear listener, that you will continue to reach out to us. We've been getting some wonderful feedback and some wonderful ideas. Continue to reach out to us. We can be found on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram. And so look for us. Sky is Black. We are future-facing conversations with experts, entrepreneurs, and innovators of African descent representing the entire pan-African metaverse
0: that's right it's not about you it's not about me it's about wakanda
1: us we all of us amen so we want you to continue to stay on boards thank you for listening we are going to keep bringing up these topics we're going to go there and get us all to wakanda live long and prosper everybody sky's vitamins sky (laughs) eat your kale (laughs) eat your kale take your vitamins get your shot live long and prosper Sky is black.
0: Wakanda Road.